Today we finish up our, our series on prayer. Uh, we are finishing with prayer school. We graduate from prayer, from prayer school today. Not really. Uh, let me tell you, uh, we have just, uh, in some ways, just scratched the surface on, on understanding prayer and trying to get into it. Um, and, uh, and the practice of prayer, learning to pray, learning to know God through through prayer is really something that that is a lifelong endeavor. This is what I, I've heard uh, called. It's a long obedience in the same direction. We learn things, we work at it, we keep going on it all our lives. And uh, and I hope that this series has kind of given us some footing and some ability to move forward in that. Uh, but today we're going to wrap it up by engaging what I think is actually one of the most challenging. Um, aspects uh, about prayer, and this is when prayers are not answered the way that, that we think they should be. Today we're asking the question, what about unanswered prayers? Um, we're going to be looking at a number of different scriptures, and uh, why don't we just uh, start off by tuning our hearts and minds to recognize the God who's present with us and do, doing that by praying. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we are here, and we recognize that, that you are most definitely here, that you uh, know us, uh, you knew us in our mother's womb, that, that we uh, are intimately known by you. And Lord, as we um, think about today again one more time what it means to pray, to try to understand prayer, to understand uh, what is a hard part of prayer, I just pray that you'd speak to us, that we would, we would see through your words some things clearly, uh, but Lord, that we would, also, we would also see your grace and the hope that's there, even in the midst of, of unknowing sometimes. And I just pray that by the power of your spirit, you'd do that in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So there was a, a pretty famous well-known novel written about a hundred years ago titled Of Human Bondage. And uh, its author is William Somerset Maugham. And some of you may have read this novel in late high school in an AP course or at college. Um, some of you maybe have no idea what it's about, but it is a, a, a novel, it's fiction, uh, but it in, in many ways is an autobiographical account of its author, uh, Somerset Maugham. And, and the central character is a figure named Philip Carey, who is born with a cleft foot. And uh, you may know what that is. If you don't, it means that his foot was kind of turned inwards towards his body, his leg in some way. And through the novel, uh, we see that this is something that he suffers through greatly all his life. He walks differently than everyone else. He uh, is not able to grow up and play sports the way the other boys did. He, he endures relentless teasing, and he wishes things were different. And one day, um, he encounters the words of Jesus in the Gospels, some words that many of us would be familiar with. Right? Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And Philip, hearing these words, is just suddenly filled with hope. Right? He, he, he has this tremendous hope and now believes that Jesus can heal him. He's going to ask and he's going to seek and he's going to knock and he's praying for this to happen. And so he, he goes uh, immediately that evening and, and determines to pray. And I'm just going to you the rest of the, the words from the book from here. 
a paraphrase. That night, before he, he was to go back to school, Philip went up to his bed trembling with excitement. With all the power in his soul, he prayed for his healing. No doubts assailed him. He was confident in the word of God. The next morning when he awoke, he at once remembered that this was the morning of the miracle. His heart was filled with joy and gratitude. He knew that his foot was well, and with the toes of his right foot, he just touched his left. And then his hand passed over it. And then Philip realized nothing had changed. He arose, once again limped downstairs, and just as Mary Ann was headed to the dining room for her prayers, he sat down to breakfast. Why doesn't God answer our prayers the way that we, that we think he should? You know, that is a, a fictionalized story, but as I, I mentioned, it really comes uh, from Somerset Maham dredging the depths of his own experience. And his ailment wasn't a cleft foot, but a stutter for which he prayed for healing and which he also received what was for him a, a very confusing no. And, and the reality is, is that there are so many people who have had uh, a very real experience of unanswered prayer in some way or another, to some degree or another, like this one that is worked through in, in this book. I, I, I am sure that some of you uh, have at some point prayed very passionately for someone or for something, and you believed that God w- could help. You, you knew that you wanted him to. You even had some faith and hope that he would, but then uh, it, it didn't happen, and God didn't answer the prayer the way that we, we thought he should, and we don't understand why. And you know, prayer is, is uh, so much more complex than some people make it out to be, um, than simply asking and, and receiving. And I think we, we can recognize that if prayer really is about a relationship with God, this isn't some like formulaic, mechanized interaction where we do something and we get some sort of a- outcome. You know, input yields to some certain output. And so if it is a relationship and God is living and we interact with him, I think we can all recognize that there are parts of that relationship, like any human relationship, that we're not going to fully understand all the time, right? That's going to have some question marks to it. Um, and, and, and that is part of the reality of unanswered prayer, and we'll talk about that later. But at the same time, um, one of the things that, that is actually spelled out in the Scripture is that there are some reasons for unanswered prayer that, that God reveals to us in the Bible. Why our answers are not uh, answered as, why our prayers are not answered as we hope they would be. And, and again, please don't think that I'm going to answer all the questions here this morning, that I'm going to be able to clear this up. But what I do think is that the scripture in the fog of unanswered prayers d- does offer some guiding lights. And, and I want to work through some of these this morning. Um, here, here is the first. Sometimes our prayers go unanswered because we ask with the wrong motives. Because we ask with the wrong motives. And I I take this one actually directly from Scripture, from the plain-speaking brother of Jesus, James, who we've been hearing a lot from uh, lately on Sunday mornings. But this is James uh, chapter 4, verse 3. He says this, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. So, uh, 
when you ask for something, because the reasons for your asking aren't what they should be, uh, that's why your prayers are going unanswered. James says that uh, extremely plainly. And um, our, our motivations are really found by answering the question, why? Why do I want what I'm praying for? That is such a good question to ask yourself. Why do I want what I'm praying for? Because the answer to that question really will get to to the bottom of your motivations. And I think uh, sometimes when we ask it, our motivations end up being fairly obvious, right? Their weaknesses are evident, right? We uh, We ask ourselves why we want something, and then we realize immediately as we struggle to answer the question with any depth that there's just not enough there there, right? We want it, but it's superficial. It's trivial. It makes us more comfortable. We just want to have some, something fun. We just are asking for things to go our way. And there really isn't much more than that going on. And, uh, and it's, it's oftentimes, I just see this as being good for me right now. And so I'm asking for it, but I'm lacking uh, the willingness to look at the bigger picture. I just don't see it at all. And I think here, um, with weak motivations, just the first thing that comes to my mind is like, the 14-year-old teenage girl who prays so hard that the guy she likes will like her back, right? <laughs> and that, that is a very honest prayer, right? Uh, maybe if she's a little bit older, like 18 or 25, or if it's my daughter, 45, um, it could be a good prayer, right? But, but y- y'all get it. Like um, at a young age with such a limited experience and view of life, like it's, it's, it's hard for the motivations of that prayer to be significant. And, and when we ask why, we often will recognize that our motivations are slimmer than they need to be when we're praying for something. However, I think that sometimes motivations are tougher to see because motivations are mixed. There's a lot of things going on at the same time. There's some good in there, and certainly on the outside it seems good, but there are other things driving our desires as well. Our motivations are mixed. And when we ask the question, when we think about why we want something, I think we often just don't do a good enough job parsing out what's really at the bottom of our hearts, right? I think what happens is that the heart wants what the heart wants, and the heart, which is, as Scripture says, sometimes deceitful above all things, uh, just moves quickly over the other things that are driving us, and we're able to justify one thing and because we're not in touch enough with what's going on in, in, in the other things. Uh, and let me just put some flesh on that so you guys can kind of see what I'm working through here. Say uh, you're up for a promotion at work or you're, you're, you're uh, applying for a new job. And so you pray, God, I would love to get this job. And on the outside, that may be a, a, a good prayer. On the inside, it may be. A promotion could be a, a good thing for a whole lot of us, right? We could learn more. We could step into a new leadership role and responsibility. Uh, it may come with a nice big addition to the paycheck, which is helpful. Uh, but here's the key. We've got to ask ourselves and work out what is the reason that I want this, and is it really a good reason uh, even more specifically, is it a God reason, or is this something that's more self-centered? And, um, and, and because uh, he, here, here's what may be happening, right? What we really want, even though we, we're saying we want more responsibility, is 
we actually just want a bigger paycheck, right? But here's the problem. Our finances are already not in order, right? We don't have a good relationship with money. And, and the question is, is this a place in my life that I'm ready to be entrusted with more? Am I faithful to what God's already given me? And because if those things aren't right... You know what a promotion does and a big paycheck, if that's what we're wanting, it simply enables that same dysfunction to, to continue longer, right? And I don't think that's a prayer that God is often going to want to answer. Okay, here's another thought. What if the promotion leads to a family situation that is, that is going to be very unhealthy and is maybe perhaps further going to drive a wedge between you and your spouse, right? If we want that promotion and we're doing it to the neglect of our family or, or, or to, the, to, to ignoring the situation with our spouse, again, that is not a prayer that I think God is going to want to answer, right? And getting that promotion, if we get it, man, I think we got to recognize that may not be God's answer to us. That may be the work of the devil, right? Uh, Proverbs 16.2 says, All of man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Check your motives when you pray because they matter, okay? Here's the next reason that the scripture lays out, and it is actually uh, related. Sometimes our prayers go unanswered because of our sin. Uh, I would say uh, more specifically our active, unrepentant sin, okay? And this comes directly from the scriptures, actually numerous scriptures in the Bible, and I'm going to get there in a second, but I want to offer a word of caution here first. Uh, so I, I'm really careful how you hear this. Um, what I don't want you to do is to think that every time you experience an unanswered prayer that you can trace it back to some certain sin in your life. Like, like this isn't happening, so what did I do to, 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 to mess up here, to mess this up? That's not how this works, okay? That isn't uh, the kind of thing that, that, that God does. And in fact, um, Jesus combated that very idea in the Gospels because Jesus wants us to know that more than anything, the God who has saved us by his mercy and grace is not an angry, vengeful God who keeps a tally of our sins and is waiting to punish us for each and every one, right? 1 Corinthians 13 says that love, the kind of love that God has, is a love that keeps no record of wrongs. And God erased all of our wrongdoing on the cross with Jesus Christ. He took it, he took it on himself. And so do not make uh, a link where you're saying, oh, this is, this is this thing that I did a long time ago is leading to this problem now. That, that, that's not the biblical witness. And, um, and, and I think we got to be careful here. However, at the same time, uh, there is this tension in the scripture because one of the things that the Bible does teach is, is that active sin in our lives can actually hinder the effectivity of our prayers. And let me, let me just show, share you, with you some of those scriptures. Here's one way uh, that that comes out. James, uh, again, chapter 5, verse 6 says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And notice that word righteous there because I think it's important. James is not saying the prayer of just any person is powerful and effective. 
right? James is also not saying the prayer of the person who follows Jesus when it's convenient, who's a cultural Christian, is powerful and effective. He says very specifically the prayer of a righteous person. And, and, and be careful how you hear that because when James says it, he, he's saying it using the word righteous in, in terms of a greater theological understanding of the word, not how we would just kind of hear it hit our ears. Uh, so, so he isn't talking about righteous as in like those people who, who just seem good, who are so good and we see that and they never seem to mess up and they annoy us like Ned Flanders did Homer Simpson, right? Okay, uh, this isn't also righteous uh, people who think, that, who think that they are righteous, right? James doesn't say the prayers of the self-righteous are powerful and effective, okay? When, when, when James says the prayers of a righteous person, what he has in mind there are people who find their righteousness in Jesus Christ. That's how we're righteous as Christians. That's the biblical witness. It, it, it comes very clearly through, uh, for instance, the book of Romans in chapter 3, where, where we see it's the people who humbly know their brokenness and need for Jesus, uh, who then, because of that trust in Jesus' love, they are the ones counted righteous. Through faith, they find themselves in a right relationship with God. And that's what righteous means, to be in a right relationship with God through Jesus. And that's really the most critical aspect here. It's about a right relationship in terms of righteousness, because if prayer is at its core, remember how we talked about this in the first week, uh, prayer is the way we have a relationship with God. Doesn't it make sense that when we do things that hurt our relationship with God and sin, that our prayer life is going to be affected? I mean, Absolutely. That, that's, this is what sin does. It puts a rift in our relationship with God. Adam and Eve sin, and what's the first thing they do? They go and hide because there's a rift in this relationship with God. If we have active, unrepentant sin in our lives, we are not going to want the things of God because we're still holding on to the things that keep us from God, and that's going to affect the, the, the way and the effectivity of our prayers. And just so you can hear this very directly from the scriptures, here is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah where he says this, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what's right. It's very clear. And, and what God is saying is that sometimes our prayers go unanswered because of the sin in our lives. Okay, here, here's the next one. Sometimes our prayers go unanswered because God cares about our character more than our comfort. God cares a lot about our character, and sometimes he cares about our character a lot more than our comfort. And the biblical example that really comes to mind to illustrate this uh, is, is in 2 Corinthians, where Paul talks about something a thorn that he has in his flesh. And if you don't know that, uh, I won't get into too much detail here, but he talks about this thorn in his flesh, and he doesn't like it. And he's, he, he's not saying, uh, we're, we're pretty sure he's not just had like a really bad encounter with a rose bush on a walk, right? He has, he's speaking figuratively. There's something that's happening in his life. Something has caught him and is... is uh, and is really bothering him. It isn't pleasant. It hurts. He doesn't like it. And so Paul wants it gone. He prays for it gone. And so he prays and he prays 
And yet, God doesn't answer his prayer. And this is what we see in the scripture. 2 Corinthians, it says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so what, what's God's answer to, to having this thing removed? Uh, he says, no, my grace is enough. My power shows up in your life. You become more mature by being weak because in your weakness, I can become strong in your life. And actually, earlier Paul says that he's given this thorn to protect him from his pride because of the mighty things that God is doing him doing through him. And so what this tells us is, is that it tells us a lot of things, but what it tells us about prayer is that sometimes God cares a whole lot more about our character than our comfort. And if our character can grow, God is going to oftentimes allow some discomfort in our lives to, to, to help that to happen, right? And think, think about it like this. Uh, parents, how many of y'all have had kids who, um, after refusing to eat any bit of their meal at all, still have the audacity to demand uh, dessert. Yeah, yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. Oh my gosh. Um, what, what gets me about, about this is uh, the rule has never, ever, ever, ever changed in our house, right? <laughs> and yet they still think that it's okay to ask, right? The, and... Um, and, uh, and <clears throat> what what the kids are saying um, it, when they're doing this is this is how I hear it at least. Can you suspend the way that everything works in this household for me, because I'm me, because I'm me? Can you do that, please? Right? And um, and 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 this is just where my conviction is on this. But there are times definitely when uh, I don't fight this battle and I just give in. Shannon is actually better at this than I am. Go figure. Um, but the reason I, I think this, this battle is worth fighting is because I think it, it has an impact on my kids' character. I care about their character development. And if I just let them have dessert, like regularly, um, what I'm teaching them is in some way that actions don't have consequences and that they can just behave accordingly, right? They learn through that experience that if they beg enough, ask enough, whine enough, exhaust mom and dad enough, they will really get what they want. And, and we, uh, what, what do we call a kid that gets what they want all the time? spoiled, right? Uh, and we say something has gone bad inside of that kid. <laughs> there's a, and, and they're spoiled, right? And, and a failure to uphold the rules, the reason they become that is because that, that failure to, to not answer that request cuts off their character development, right? And, and, and so what is the result then when, when we actually hold on to the rules? Um, usually in our house, what this means is that Shannon or I have to sit there with a spoon and spoon feed this child, who is sometimes eight, and, um, <laughs> and then bite by bite, uh, they will gag their way through, especially Johnny's, just through like Brussels sprouts or mashed potatoes or whatever it is. And, uh, and it is a challenge. But uh, let me tell you, what my sons and my daughter will learn about themselves 
is that uh, they actually can eat food that is the wrong color or textured weird or doesn't taste like a hot dog, okay? And when they discover this, uh, what happens is they build character. The small win with this hard, uncomfortable thing leads to other small wins with hard, uncomfortable things. And little by little, they get closer to becoming mature, right? And, and I just want to tell you, this is a different scale, but it's the same with the way God thinks about you and me. The same with us who are children of a heavenly father. Sometimes our prayers go unanswered because God is trying to make us more mature. We might be praying for deliverance from a tough situation in life, but God wants us to to feel and understand the full consequences of what we have done so we don't do it again in the first place, right? We might be praying for some clarity about some situation right now and about what to do and about how to make it better, but God wants to teach us patience and help us learn to relinquish control and, and give up some of our anxieties. In every situation, I can assure you this, Uh, God is trying and working to make you deeper, stronger followers of Jesus. God is after your heart, your sanctification, your character, and sometimes he's going to allow some discomfort in your lives. Okay, here is the last reason uh, that really comes through um, in in the scriptures. Um, Sometimes our prayers go unanswered, and we still don't know why. And we simply trust in God's grace already given in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we pray and our prayers are not answered and we just do not know why. And in that situation, what we have to do is trust in the grace that God already gave, in, gave us in, in Jesus Christ. I think this is the hardest answer. This is the one uh, that Somerset Mom had to wrestle with, right? This is the thing where, where we go through the whole list, right? And when we think of every possible reason, it still doesn't make sense. Uh, we just cannot see how from this there can be any good that has happened or that, or that any good that happened is worth what happened from this, right? And, and in those situations, uh, it, it's an issue of trust. I, I, I'll leave you with this phrase. When we don't understand, we must trust what we do understand, and that is the grace of God proven in Jesus Christ. There was a professor uh, from the University of Michigan named Charles Edward White, and he spent um, some time actually visiting, uh, serving at a university in Nigeria, the University of Jos. And, and while there, he encountered um, in the area a, a missionary graveyard where uh, missionaries who had shared the gospel in Nigeria and died there were, were, were buried. And one of the first things that he noticed in this graveyard was that um, a, a lot of the graves were not full-sized. They were two or three-foot mounds, and, and they were made for children. And he actually counted it up, and 33 of the 56 graves in this graveyard were, were, were for, for kids. Two infants just lived one day. Many other children lived a few years and then fell victim to tropical diseases. He did more research and found that some of these were really heart-wrenching stories, like uh, a boy named Melvin Goosen, who when he was 12, fell off a suspension bridge into a creek that um, was really flowing with water. Um, and his father, Arthur Goosen, dived in to save his son and, and 
uh, both the father and son drowned, and they were buried there in that graveyard. So this was hard stuff, right, that he was seeing. Here were people who had given their lives for something good and lost their lives. And, and there were certainly people praying for these missionaries and their families and for their safety and protection. And Professor White said, how do we make sense of this? And, and he wrote down what I think is one of the most profound words on unanswered prayer that I've ever read. And it says this, The graveyard at Miango tells us something about God and about his grace. It testifies that God is not a jolly grandfather who satisfies our every desire. Certainly those parents wanted their children to live. They pled with God, but he denied their request. The graves also show us that God is not a calculating merchant who withholds his goods until we produce enough good works or faith to buy his help. If anyone had earned credit with God, it would have been these missionaries. They left all to spread the gospel in a hostile environment. But God does not hand out merit pay. Not only do we learn about God's nature from the Miango graveyard, but we also discover truths about his grace. God's grace may be free, but it is not cheap. Neither purchasing our salvation nor letting us know of the gift was inexpensive. Beginning with Abel, many of the witnesses to divine grace sealed their words with their blood. Jesus asked the Jews, which of the prophets was not persecuted? When he first sent out his disciples, he promised them betrayal and death. Then, at the end of his ministry, he promised his followers that as they carried his word, they would face trouble and hatred. The only way we can understand the graveyard at Miango is to remember that God also buried his son on the mission field, too. He said to trust in God's grace already proven through Jesus Christ. That's how we understand that. And, and with that thought, I just want to offer you guys quickly one final observation that has actually been a game changer for me in the way that I think about this. And I owe this to Philip Yancey. Um, but do you all realize that, that our salvation, God's son dying on the mission field, came through an unanswered prayer? Right? Have, have you ever thought about that? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed for another way. The Bible tells us that he knew what was ahead of him, his arrest, his torture, his death, his crucifixion, the consequences of all sin, right? And Jesus was there in the garden lying prostrate on the ground, sweat falling from him like drops of blood, pleading with God for another way. His words were, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And so Jesus is praying, I don't want to do this. God, let there be another way. But did God answer his prayer? No, God did not. And, and, and because Jesus was not saved, friends, God gave us the salvation of all the world. God gave us the salvation, us, you and me, the whole world the salvation through an unanswered prayer. And, and friends, as you wrestle with your own experiences of unanswered prayer, I just suggest that you keep that in mind that we really can trust um, that God knows us and understands us and is there with us and, 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 and is speaking through his grace, even through unanswered prayers. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful um, for 
the way that you love us and you speak to us and you save us in ways that we don't even want sometimes, God. And, and Lord, I know that there are so many things uh, about this relationship with you um, that, are, that, that are beautiful and clear and we hold on to. But Lord, we also recognize that there are things uh, like unanswered prayers that, that we wrestle with. And Lord, I, I'm sure that some of us have questions in their heart. And Lord, I just pray that by the power of your spirit and those situations, we could see the power of the cross, that we could see your love and your grace that are never ending, and that went as far as, as they could go so, so that we could be saved, so that we would know your love. And I pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.